I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're moving into Lesson 9 now, Pastor Howard, of our... Hard to believe it. God's Mission, My Mission, fourth quarter of 2023 study series. Which, incidentally, Mm -hmm. we just happen to be at this very time doing conference-wide evangelistic meetings, talking about My Mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll be preaching a, a... presentation tonight. You are going to be traveling up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan yes. to bring hope and encouragement <laughs> to the saints. By the time this airs, that will be long in the past, and what a wonderful time I had. <laughs> and we'll be celebrating the souls that were won to the kingdom. Amen. Well, it is exciting to be part of a conference-wide effort that has some 70 churches and literally hundreds and hundreds of non-Seventh-day Adventists attending these meetings, and so it's exciting to share the message. To be and a part of God's mission. Exactly, just as we're talking about here in the quarterly. Yes. Uh, and this week's title is Mission to the Powerful. Now, that's a juxtaposition, of course, to last week's title, which was Mission to the Needy. And so we're moving through kind of demographic blocks of right. people who need the gospel. And so clearly the mission is to everyone, but there are uniquenesses in different groups and different circumstances that could be well, addressed. Well, one of the things I think the lesson is wanting to highlight is... The gospel is to everyone, but we don't always proclaim it to everyone. Mm. And uh, I think the lesson is highlighting that this week, that as much as we tend to, you know, when we talk in the church, we always make like, we tell those stories about the poor man who came into church and the deacon went and sat by him because nobody else would. And that's not what happens in the church is more often than not, those people get flooded because it's our duty. We want to be that good Christian who puts our arm around the and it's often the ones that are the, the, what might be, who might be said to be powerful that we mm-hmm. kind of shy away from. Mm. Well, I we're think that's take... at least one of the reasons the lesson is, is bringing this up this week. Yeah, and I do think that there are some legitimate reasons to look at this. Now, I do want to obviously be careful because we don't want to say, well, what about if they're this height and this weight and this right, color exactly. and this finances and this background and culture and heritage and language? And it's almost like we have to have 70 million different approaches for all the different subgroups. Right. But there are uniquenesses to people who are in positions of authority or have wealth and resources that the common man doesn't. So we should talk about how to best reach uh, And I too. think the primary takeaway is not going to be how, how, as much as there may be uniquenesses, how to minister to them, but that we should be ministering. I mean, it could be in reflection we say, you know, there are certain people that I don't go out of my way to minister to. I'm leaving a, a segment of humanity mm-hmm. out of my witness. How can I better incorporate field. so that I am reaching out to everybody exactly. in my circle of influence? Well, all of that's going to be discussed as we move forward. We do have three talking points this week. And before I put those out for discussion, though, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the privilege uh, yet to study your word and to be reminded of these things, and to be a part of your mission in seeking and saving the lost. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide us in this um, episode of Talking Points, uh, that you would guide our Sabbath school teachers and classes as they study this lesson, that it would be a a motivational uh, tool to help us to be more active and efficient in reaching souls for your kingdom, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going in a mission to the powerful, and I have a brief introduction here that just says, this week we'll study how we should regard and minister to the wealthy and well-connected in society. Because powerful, I mean, it's not like they're physically strong (laughs) or they sit in position, not necessarily sit in positions of like 
presidential leadership or something, but there are throughout society there are people who have more opportunities and broader influence because yes. of a position they hold or the resources they have, and so that's what we mean by powerful. Right. They don't really define it, but that seems to be clearly the case. Mm-hmm. So we have three talking points. Talking point number one: wealth and status do not define character. Okay, so. We'll get into that, but that's all uh, threaded through this week's lesson, Sunday through Wednesday, and then Friday as well. Touches on that. Number two, the powerful face unique temptations and opportunities. That's going to be Sunday through Wednesday as well. By the way, I should have pointed out that this week, I'll get to that in just a second. Let's get the third talking point. That'll give an overview. And finally, Jesus exemplified ministry to the powerful. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And what I was about to say is that um, through this week's lesson, it's basically just a collection of individual stories from Scripture of encounters right. with wealthy people. Nebuchadnezzar, Naaman. Nebuchadnezzar, Naaman, Nicodemus, Nicodemus the, the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus. Anyway, and those are all insightful, but you could again get drawn away from My goal is to cover each of these stories. And, but you're not going to have enough time and you're not going to draw out the lessons. Right. What I would encourage you to do, as we're doing here today, is take from those some applications some for principles. all of us. Exactly. Yep. And again, let's go back to number one. Wealth and status do not define character. All right. What do you mean by that? I mean by that that there is, and, and sometimes we fall into this, especially outside in a secular setting or, or political thinking, that classes of people are more innately uh, righteous or wicked or something like that. Now, we would never say it that way, but that the that you could think of, like, for instance, in Jesus' day, if someone was poor, and especially if they were ill, if they were sick or injured, right. that was a judgment. That was of God. clearly the judgment of God. They were outcast from society. They were lower class, right? And the wealthy and well-connected, oh, that's clearly the blessing of the Lord. So that's viewed right. on with higher esteem. Well, today, it's almost the opposite. There's the the, the idea of the noble poor, and they're just doing their best. They're earnest-hearted, trying to get by. Mm-hmm. And it's the mean, robber-baron, wealthy, powerful. Right. Who those are grinding them to the... And while both of those might have elements of truth in some, we can't just group people and say, well, you're rich, therefore you are this. Or you're poor, mm-hmm. therefore you're this, whether it's good or bad. That there's a common humanity that all of us share beyond mm-hmm. circumstances or, or position or uh, means and resources, right? I put in the notes, God's plan of redemption is intended for everyone regardless of wealth or social status. That the wealthy aren't closer to heaven or neither or the poor or vice versa. So put it this way in the notes, just as being poor and oppressed does not make one righteous or wicked, the same is true for those who are rich and influential. So right. the lesson on Monday in paragraph one, it had a pretty nice little summary statement about that. Right. Top of the page, it says, Christ died for all, regardless of their background, wealth, ethnicity, or status. God ceaselessly draws all humanity to himself, including those individuals classed among the powerful non-Christians of the world. That's right. So again, this week, we're looking specifically at the wealthy, the well-connected, the what they call the powerful. And Mm -hmm. we should not look at them as either above 
normal humanity, the rest of humanity, in their terms of righteousness, and what. nor do we just assume that they're written off because they're so wicked or evil, mm-hmm. that they are candidates for the kingdom just as much as yeah. anyone else. That's Yeah, the that's upshot. interesting in this statement that that's the spin on the statement, Christ died for all, regardless of background, and we're going to say, well, that means the poor as well as the rich. Right. But what she's saying in the context is the rich as well as the poor. Right. In other words, including those individuals classed among the powerful. Yeah, the assumption <laughs> written there is you might not think of them. <laughs> including the poor. Yeah, no, yeah. no, including the rich. Exactly so, right. Um, but again, the emphasis is that Christ died for all. Yes. And the, the offer of salvation is for them as well. By the way, I say them because I certainly don't class myself as long the powerful and influential or wealthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even thinking about that, I mean... Where I happen to live in North America automatically places me financially above a vast swath yes. of the world, even though in this context, I am not at all among the highest that there are out there, but collectively higher than those. Are. So all of these are subjective terms. Mm-hmm. What does powerful mean? What is influential? What does wealthy even mean? And so we have to be careful to not categorize people out of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. you know, and... To that same extent, as it gives us examples of, say, Nebuchadnezzar or Naaman, Nicodemus, and the others who are in here, what I found interesting in studying this lesson is that each of those individuals, not only were they touched with the the gospel invitation, but as it was applied in their lives, they didn't receive it any more readily or mysteriously, like, Hmm. I hate to say magically, they didn't just like, oh, they understand the gospel, therefore they had a full conversion... There was a process for them, too. It took time. They had to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. They had to, you know, have their ups and downs in faith as well, just like all people do. You know, you think of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 1. He's introduced right off the bat as this powerful ruler who sweeps in and takes over Jerusalem, takes captive Daniel and his friends. But by chapter 2, he has this encounter where he has the dream, and he's shaken by it, mm-hmm. and he's disturbed. He needs the help of God. He recognizes a God more powerful than me, and he's humbled. Chapter 3, he's like, forget that humility thing. I'm going to be the whole statue of gold. Yeah. And he puts mm-hmm. him, and he has to be humbled again. And in chapter 4, he has to be humbled again. Incidentally, with the end of chapter 2, your God is a God of God. Right. End of chapter 3, your God is the great God. <laughs> right. And then we're back into it in chapter exactly. 4. Where but yeah. fortunately, the end of chapter 4, again, your God is able yes. to humble anyone. And that's the last we hear. So I have to trust that that was, yes. he died on an upswing, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's, it's, it's progressive. It's a growth in grace, right? You think of Naaman. That's one of the examples given in the in the lesson this week of how he didn't at first even regard the prophet of God, but then he did, and it took a, it, he had to be humbled in, in the, the water you of the rivers. You think of this as well. I mean, it's just dawning on me that Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's a prisoner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you would picture, in fact, I would say that a lot of people probably hesitate with the, with the more influential classes because who am I? I'm just a nobody. Well, how could we make that worse? Why don't we just make you the scum of society and we'll make you a prisoner somewhere? You make you a, a, mm. a, a malfeasant of some sort. Yeah. And then you have Joseph in the palace, you know, right? And it's it, he's a prisoner yeah. now and he's going to come before the Pharaoh. Mm. So it's kind of interesting that, that, you know, why didn't the Lord bring him as a statesman? 
Yeah. Daniel had been a statesman when he was in Persia. That's how he got there. But yeah. not how, not where he started Well, even as a young man, he, had, he started off as nobility, but he was reduced down to prisoner right. and started from ground zero and had to work his way back up, you know? Sure. Yeah. And somebody could argue that he was of the royal seed, but not for Joseph. Yeah. So in other words, it just goes to say that your status is irrelevant. God right. can use you to reach the greatest status. Yeah, that, 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 and that often does. That gap between does not... Uses the foolish things of the world exactly. to found the wise. Well, and I was going to mention, in, in Naaman, his own experience, you know, he, I mean, this, the lesson brought up an interesting thing, how he had requested to take some of the land, like the actual dirt, you know, back home with him so he could use it in his services because he thought there was something special right. about, well, your God is located there, so I need, the, I need that actual dirt. And the Lord was, you know, didn't, didn't strike him down. It just understood right. that this is a growth of understanding. But this is just hitting me now that once again with Naaman, mm-hmm. he went to the king mm-hmm. and the king couldn't help him. That's right. Right. And who could help him? The servant, the yes. slave, right? Yes. So repeatedly we see this in scripture that the lowest status person is the one who helped out these high status yes. people. Well, and you know, it really comes ahead, I think, in the story of Nicodemus, uh, where Jesus has that interaction in John chapter 3. Right. Nicodemus, according to the worldly standards, I mean, who is Jesus? He's an unlettered uh, son of a carpenter, didn't start right. his public ministry until 30, and here's Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And, but how mm-hmm. did G- Jesus didn't say, like, he didn't, like, change his, right. he just talked to him directly and simply and kindly. And Nicodemus was touched by the grace of Christ, but he didn't convert instantly. He heard the message. He had to think about it. He went back and he kind of worked behind the scenes. He was observing. And it wasn't until after the death of Jesus that he comes out strong in his faith and is um, a real force for the church. But none of these, and especially, obviously, Christ himself, cowered at their faith, right? No. When Nicodemus pressed back with Jesus, what, what is a man supposed to be go well, back to his mother? Yeah. Jesus didn't hedge on that. You don't see Daniel saying, well, you know, being a little bit awkward about it. I know my faith is kind of weird and peculiar and whatever else, but it's true. And Mm -hmm. so I I think of that for us as Seventh-day Adventists. Sometimes we're just like, I know that what we believe is a little different. It's not what you've heard. Mm -hmm. Instead of just being bold with it. Yeah. And being, because it's the truth of God. It doesn't matter if it's different. It's the truth of God. And that, that confidence you see in these witnesses is what had that winning influence on these people of influence. And I think that's, and there's a statement from quarterly paragraph, uh, from Friday's paragraph two, which is from the Ministry of Healing, page 210, where Sister White gives this counsel. She said, much is said concerning our duty to the neglected poor. Should not some attention be given to the neglected rich? Many look upon this class as hopeless. Thousands of wealthy men have gone down to the graves unwarned, but indifferent as they may appear, many among the rich are Mm. soul burdened. So she's speaking to the people who have this burden for the, for the loss. It's like, you know, they're lost too. And why are we so, to your point, reserved and hesitant and equivocating? Just speak to them as though they're people, right? Now, hmm. our clock is winding down. We've got to move on. But talking point number two says, the powerful face unique temptations and opportunities. Now, let me be careful about that. That's not to say that they face more temptation or have Mm. more opportunities than we do, but they are unique. They're different. Yeah. So the extent or depth of them or the breadth of the potential of their influence mm-hmm. is greater. It's not that they, well, we'll get into this, but for instance. Well, I have a thought on this. Please, I keep wondering speak. where to bring it in because I, I, it may be coming up, but it's just uh, struck me as we're looking at this. There is a 
And I know in my experience as a pastor and as a church member that there is a reluctance to reach out to the higher classes. Mm. Even back in Ellen White's day, she has a vision where she talks about gathering berries, and the, it was symbolic of mm-hmm. gathering souls, and there were what were called the high bush berries. Well, they were too much work. Nobody wanted to go for them. They wanted to go for the low bush berries. And, and that would be the poorer classes. And, mm-hmm. and it strikes me that we have that same thing today. Why is that? Because the needs of the poorer classes are often more easily met in other words, their physical needs. I can give clothing. I can give food. I can mm-hmm. give the. And a lot of Seventh Day Adventists feel more comfortable doing that than giving Bible studies. Mm. Where you talk about the unique, what are the unique talent challenges of the of the influential and the wealthy? They don't have the physical needs as a rule. I yeah. mean, they can get sick. They certainly don't have the material needs. What we just read in the statement is they have the spiritual needs, and that's mm. the one. Yeah, we feel yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It feels so, a little too personal, but that's right. the exact place that's they need. That's what they yeah. need. Well, and we see that in God. I, I love the examples they give here. For instance, in Nebuchadnezzar, we'll go back to that one. Nebuchadnezzar was sitting in a position of almost incomprehensible influence, right? He's literally, by God, told, you are that head of gold. Like, yeah. all the world is coming to you. You are a king of kings. That's right. You're over everything. Right. And so, yeah. from that position, you can really have an influence on literally the rest of the world's history, mm. right? Now, the Lord, in his sovereignty, of course, we know that in that same passage, as you're a king of kings because the great king has given you this kingdom, right? That the Lord, in his sovereignty, could have just manhandled Nicodemus and moved him out of the way or something, but he didn't do that. He didn't just want to use Nebuchadnezzar's influence. He wanted to save Nebuchadnezzar's soul. That's right. So all through the book of Daniel, you see this back and forth because he's aiming to not just use him, but to save him. And praise the Lord, from all evidence we have, it was successful that Nebuchadnezzar finally did allow his heart to be molded and Mm -hmm. and changed by God's grace. Um, And you think about in the New Testament, the Nicodemus story. You know, how tempting would it have been for Jesus to say, man, here's a man in the position in the Sanhedrin that could hold my fate in his hands. He could fund the church I'm trying to start. I better not speak too too pointedly to him. I better not be too, I need to kind of adapt my approach to him. Could be the temptation. But Jesus didn't. First thing he says, thanks for the interview. You need to be born again. He starts immediately speaking to the heart, and Nebuchadnezzar's, I mean, Nicodemus is kind of obfuscating, and Jesus is like, I know you're not this, pardon me, but I know you're not this dumb. You you don't really, you're not really confused about the new birth process. Mm-hmm. You just don't like what it applies to your life. So we talked to him about it, and over time, that conviction began to grow in Nicodemus's heart, and instead of just trying to tap in and use Nicodemus, Jesus did want to use Nicodemus's wealth and position which he did later on, but in the process, he saved Nicodemus, right? Mm. We should not look to the wealthy and powerful as like, oh, here's an ally for religious liberty, or here's one who can fund this ministry, and my only goal is to get what they can get for me. That, by the way, would be interested benevolence, mm-hmm. right? Right. But there's nothing wrong, by the way, looking at the potential opportunity that they have, but our primary objective should be, even if they never give a penny, I want to win their souls. I want to win their souls Absolutely. like anything else, right? Now, um, you think about, uh, man, I wish we had time, but I would urge you to go read Acts of the Apostles, page 104 and 105, when it talks about 
the closing ministry of Nicodemus, mm-hmm. looking back on his initial time with after Jesus, the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. stuff while Jesus was on trial and his ministry was going on. But after the crucifixion, how he gave everything to the cause. His soul was saved, and through his influence, other souls were saved. There's a state. Well, let's just read that one little paragraph from 105. Acts the Apostles 105 says, Now when the Jews were trying to destroy the infant church, Nicodemus came forward in its defense, no longer cautious and questioning. He encouraged the faith of the disciples and used his wealth in helping to sustain the church at Jerusalem and in advancing the work of the gospel. Mm. So he had a unique opportunity in his conversion to further the work of God that most people don't have. And just like Nebuchadnezzar or here in Nicodemus, it was used for God's glory. The, the rich young ruler, on the other hand, had the opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus, personally right. spoken to by Jesus himself. But he had a unique temptation in that the chains of wealth bound him in his heart away from the kingdom of God. It's, it's just it's heartbreaking, the story. Uh, The text comes to my mind in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping at the wind. So we could overread that. But to the sinner he gives... Like the person who follows God, God gives knowledge and joy. But to the person who doesn't follow God and amasses earthly treasures, God just lets him collect those treasures to give them to his church when he's ready. Mm-hmm. In other words, God owns everything. And I, and I think in light of Nicodemus here, how many of our churches, and you know as you go around to Seventh-day Adventist churches, at least here in Michigan, a lot of them are very poor, dilapidated, don't have funds for just about anything. Mm. And I wonder how much of that is tied to the fact that we're afraid to minister to people who may, like Nicodemus, be the one who could pull that church mm. out of... In other words, God has means in there, and he says this individual and this, and we're like, yeah, but I don't want to minister over there. And yeah. so I... Yeah, I wonder yeah, how much of that how happens. How many Nicodemuses where we cut, yeah. are, are in our, our society right and I'm now? Not, again, not saying we're supposed to target people and say, oh, I'm going to minister to this person because I think I can get something out right. of them. But we do shy away from ministering well, to people of influence. Let's think about as that. A rule. Because, I mean, and Sister White is clear about this, that there is wisdom in trying to, obviously, our heart should break for all people and seek souls disinterestedly, right? But I think, to your point earlier, sometimes we target the less powerful, the less influential, the less the, the poor or classes. Well, we can assume because, that the wealthier ones don't want it or don't need it. Right. It's like, almost, oh, they have everything. It's, it's a prejudice against them spiritually mm. to say, like, well, they wouldn't be interested. How do, what kind of hubris right. are you to say whether someone would be interested or not minister to them? And, and, and the worst. That's, there's nothing wrong with saying, and by the way, through their position, they could be a great help. Through their means, they would be... Uh, why not, like... Like a Nebuchadnezzar or like a Nicodemus, why not win their soul and, by God's grace, allow them to help the cause? Absolutely. Well, the worst part about that reasoning is there's almost a built-in assumption that they have it better than we do as Christians. Mm. Like, uh, why minister to them? They're not going to be interested. Why? Because, Because why? Because they have everything. No, they don't. They don't have everything. (laughs) I have everything. (laughs) I have Jesus, and they don't, right? But but it's, it's, we almost... It's almost like we, we, we think that they have something more valuable. Mm. So it's not like we need to, like the mindset shift needs to happen in our own, in our own experience, right? We have to look at people in a different way. It's than like Jesus at the woman at the well. Like if you knew who was asking you, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. Oof, yeah. <laughs> I got something worth something mm. here. 
Well, thank you for bringing that up. With our few minutes we have remaining, you talked about it's just like Jesus when he did something, right? Well, that's our talking point number three, that Jesus exemplified ministry to the powerful. Yeah. You see several examples in his own ministry, Nicodemus, uh, Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler, and there's probably many others where he you know, had opportunity with uh, leaders and, and powerful, wealthy people. Right. But f- through those interactions, we can draw a handful of principles in our interactions. First of all, Jesus was always kind, yet he was clear when he spoke. He didn't sugarcoat things, and he didn't overdress it and make it ornate and highfalutin mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Neither did he, like, change his temperament for them or something. It's like, I'm going to be strict with you. And he was the same consistent Christian. I mean, he is a Christian. Mm-hmm. He is Christ, right? Uh, with everyone. And that, that consistency and clarity had a convicting power in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Secondly, Jesus wasn't desperate for their attention or resources. Like you think about the, the strategy of winning Nicodemus, sure, but he also encountered the rich young ruler, and he was and he was. I don't want to say he was fine when he went away, but he didn't he didn't say like, no, no, no. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Right. I, 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 he he said the spiritual comes first. The heart is the issue, and if mm-hmm. you join us, you can be a great good, but that's on you. But his his position wasn't one of desperation and 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 um, pleading. It wasn't like that. And of course, we see that time and again, even if they don't yield to the conviction, the wealthy, the powerful, the influential saw in Jesus a convicting uh, righteousness that touched their hearts. They they were confronted with the kingdom of God. And it forced a decision one way or the other. We should then minister to the powerful as Jesus did. I think we should demonstrate the evidence of a Christian life, consistent Christian life. We shouldn't put on airs and try to be something we're not. We should be that winsome witness, regardless of who we're in front of. And when we have the right. opportunity, we should be that same thing in front of them. We should, as Christ did, speak kindly and clearly and I think you brought up an interesting statement from Christian Service, page 124. Yeah, I don't have it pulled up. It's page 124. But the gist mm. of it is, I can state the gist of it, okay. and that is that uh, often she says that some of these most powerful and influential people are more impressed by the simple words of one who loves the Lord and mm. talks about that love as naturally as. So it's not somebody... This is a church member who doesn't know a lot. They're not super influential, like we've talked about these prisoners and what have you that God's used in the past. They just talk about their love for the Lord, and it's refreshing. Yes. Because you could got to imagine that people who are of influence and power, you got to imagine that most people are trying to, you know, <laughs> always schmooze them and try to yeah. get, you know, get something out of them. And here's a person who wants nothing out of them but to tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the gist of her statement on Christians and service. You can read it 124, that mm. it's refreshing to them to hear somebody so who simply loves the Lord and there's something better out there. I wonder if there's a there's a common thread there between like the needy, we're always trying to give something, and the witch, we're always trying to get something. It's mm-hmm. like, why don't you just leave the other things aside and just speak to people <laughs> like they're people, mm. and that will have an influence, right? Amen. And I do think we it's important to give those people who have the unique opportunities and resources to use their wealth or influence in the cause of Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. I was thinking of harvest in gathering, mm. the brilliance yep. of that, like going to 
wealthy individuals in their homes and presenting the needs of the poor and saying, hey, we're trying to be a medium of blessing in our community here, and but we could use your resources to help out. And time and again, as we go out door to door, people will just don't even think of, oh, that's a great cause. Here's some money. Right. So using the means of the wealthy to help the poor and to both classes minister the gospel. Amen. It's a brilliant strategy. Uh, in Thursday's lesson, why don't you read that statement from paragraph four? Yes, it says powerful people will seek to partner with genuine ministry for a number of reasons. They want to be part of something good that is changing the lives of people. This is one way they know it can also change their lives. It provides a subtle way for the rich and powerful to get the help they need without publicly disclosing their needs. So it ties them into a work of ministry that is a mm-hmm. channel to their heart. Like as that money extends from their hand, their heart is attached in some way and right. it's an avenue. Uh, there's a closing statement from Christian Service, page 202, that says, Those who stand in the world for their education, wealth, or calling... Stand high in the world. I'm sorry, stand high in the world for their education, wealth, or calling are seldom addressed personally in regard mm. to the interests of the soul. Many Christian workers hesitate to approach these classes, but this should not be. If a man were drowning, we would not stand by and see him perish because he was a lawyer, a merchant, or a judge. If we saw persons rushing over a precipice, would we not hesitate to urge them back, whatever be, might be their position or calling? Neither should we hesitate to warn men of the peril of the soul. None should be neglected because of their apparent devotion to worldly things. Mm, fabulous statement. Yeah, apparent devotion, right? We don't know the heart, right. but just reach to, out to them, just like their people. We we got to close, but real quick, on Thursday... The challenge and the challenge yes. up. What are we looking at this week, Pastor Howard? challenge is to add somebody to your daily prayer list who's in a position of power. Okay. Not a believer, and someone you could come in contact with from time to time. So, surprise, surprise, we're going to pray for someone. Praise the Lord. But then what? <laughs> well, it's interesting. So, the challenge up is address a letter or email to someone in a position of power, even someone you may have never met, and tell that person you're praying for him and her. Now, that's a little bit odd to me because the challenge was put this person on your prayer list who's in a position of power that you come in contact with from time to time. So, you'd think the challenge up, up would be pray that the Lord arrange a contact yes. where you can. No, the challenge up is send a letter to somebody else that you may never meet in your lifetime, which I'm not opposed to that, but it's kind of a lateral challenge instead of a challenge up. Yeah, so let's go up, up, the plus, plus, right, right, and say, how about you pray for them (laughs) and seek out an opportunity to personally minister to them and just see how the Lord leads as you practice Christ's method. Amen. The challenge up, up, you only get it here on Talking Points, (laughs) folks. (laughs) Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be co-laborers in your cause, to minister to all people, regardless of the wealth or status. Please help us to have the wisdom of Christ and the character of Christ as we reach out in Christ's name to these people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.